Disclaimer, this content is meant for information only and not as a diagnosis or medical treatment for any condition. If you or a loved one needs help, please seek out a qualified medical professional for assistance. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Katie Ostad, BSN, RN, IBCLC, and infant feeding specialist. Quench your thirst for knowledge and travel with me across the nation to discover, learn, collaborate, and better serve clients from all over the globe. Let's ride and thrive together. Today on the podcast, I'm pleased to introduce Christina Walsh, physical therapist and co-founder of Tighten Your Tinkler, Silly Name, Serious Results. Christina is a New Orleans mama of two living with pelvic floor issues. She is a physical therapist specializing in integrative manual therapy and the co-treater of Tighten Your Tinkler. Christina and her co-founder, Jen Lormand, have a combined 36 years of experience supporting postpartum women holistically through prolapse, diastasis recti, and more. Their proprietary protocol helps women solve pelvic floor problems without kegels or internal vaginal devices from the comfort of their own homes. Christina's mission is to free more mamas from the embarrassing pee leaks, chronic back and hip pain, and painful sex, and in doing so, help them restore their dignity, functional strength, and trust in their own bodies. You guys, this is going to be so great. You are not going to believe this episode. Christina and Jen have done a research study at the University of New Orleans and proven their results. It is amazing what they have been able to do. And I hope that more women everywhere and more providers all over the country hear about this and start spreading the word because we don't need surgery, medications, or invasive devices to take back that control in our body. So please join me and Christina on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining me today, Christina. I am so excited to finally talk with you. And thank you, I will say, for being super patient with me. I know we rescheduled a couple of times as I was working through my journey to get here and to be able to talk about all of this. But thank you for your patience. And I'm really excited to talk about your company and your journey and everything today as well. Well, thank you for having me. And look, this is actually one of the greatest gifts I find of working mostly with other moms is that we get where each other are coming from, right? If I don't respond to an email over Christmas break within 24 hours, nobody gets mad because guess what? The people emailing us are with their kids too, right? <laughs> and it ends yeah. up being an auxiliary blessing. Yeah, we're all trying to balance everything from, you know, trying, especially when you're having your own business as a mom and trying to do this in a small business way. It is not easy. It's not like, when I worked at a hospital and I would go in and put in my eight hours and come home. And it's also not like I have a huge staff. It's just me. So I don't have a Girl. staff who's answering my emails or re- Us responding either. to things. Yeah, no, this is, we joke about, um, we just sent an email today about why we don't do Black Friday because we're moms. <laughs> we're with our families that day, you know? So I think that that's, it's a great gift to share space and work with other working mamas because yeah. there's a solidarity there and an understanding. I know. And we both do work with, you know, pretty much the mom population. So what, you know, how did you get into this space? I know you have a PT background, but do you want to talk about how you got to where you are now with your own company, Tighten Your Tinkler? Girl, yes. It was such a guided story. Like so many of us, we find our passion through personal experience. And that's exactly what happened for me. When I decided to be a PT, I had not remotely envisioned (laughs) where I am now. 
but it's all been such a great gift. You know, it truly allows me to serve and reach women in ways I never even dreamed. I always wanted to what help people, you know, that's why we get into the the helping healthcare professions. But I early on had a whiplash injury once I was already a PT and was looking for healing and found that kind of the traditional courses of care were not effective enough. And like occupational hazard, like I knew what would happen if I didn't get this better. Like I knew I'd end up with neck surgery in my 30s and I wasn't about to go down that path. So I looked for alternative treatments and I found body work. And it changed my life. And I went to go study that. And I started my bodywork practice. And then the lovely, amazing Jen Lormond, who's an exercise physiologist extraordinaire, was on her own healing journey. She is now my business partner, but it did not start out that way. (laughs) She was on my treatment table looking for healing from diastasis recti, that separation of the abdominals that happens after pregnancy, after her third. And she was dealing with some very severe birth injuries and recovering from all of that and ended up on my treatment table. And it was like one of those moments, you know, where you, the sparks just fly when you meet your energies just match. And it was the most perfect guided timing because she already ran a personal training gym working mostly with moms. And that's the population I really was interested in serving, even though I was not yet a mom at that time. And she said, you know what? Every mom I work with needs this work. Please come work out of my personal training gym. And the rest was history. The short story long is that then I had my kids She was still trying to recover from birth injuries, was referred for pelvic suspension surgery at 36 years old. Thankfully, her superpower is curiosity, and she was not willing to settle for that option being her story. And I had had much less severe kind of residual issues at that point from having my kids. And we were both interested in finding a different way to get better because the things that we were being pitched, whether that was Kegels or internal devices or surgery in her case, either didn't work or weren't what we were interested in pursuing. And so we found a new way together to approach and heal pelvic floor issues and even prolapse to a certain degree. And we are such nerds for what we do. We're we're clinicians, right? I'm a PT and she's an exercise physiologist. So we were like, we're going to change the world with this new protocol. It's changed our lives. And we're going to do research. We're going to do academic research. We have no experience doing academic research, by the way. But we were... (laughs) So our crazy behinds partnered with a professor at the University of New Orleans who Jen had worked with, did a three-year university research study just because, and and got it published in the Journal of Women's Health PT to prove that there is another way to address these issues that doesn't involve the things that we didn't want to do. So the women in our research were the ones who came back to us. We thought that was our big splash in the world, the research. Yay, we did it. The women in our research came back to us and started asking how they could share this with, because it had changed their lives. How can I share this with my cousin who lives in Washington and my aunt who lives in Florida and they need access to this? And we were like, we need to listen to these women. We need to make this a business. We need to get this out there faster than the slowly turning cogwheels of the Western medical system. Yeah. And Titan Your Tinkler was born. One of our clients named the business for us, the tagline, silly name, serious results. And we've been on a mission ever since to get this healing into the hands of the women who it's the right fit for ever since. I will say I read something recently that said, typically from research to kind of like moderate implementation to something becoming more common in treatment is an average of about 20 plus years in the allopathic model. So we can have new research that comes out that shows that what we're doing is completely wrong. 
something else works even better and is much more, whether it's cost effective, you know, patient centered, just whatever, it's a better option. And it can take easily 20 years for it to be implemented, if at all. There's still plenty yes. of research that doesn't get picked up at all. Yes. And we got enough requests for a way to refer people to this care that was so freshly put out in the world that we were like, we have to listen to this. We're doing it ourselves. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And, and I'm I'm yeah. glad you guys have because it's not something that really is super supported in the allopathic model. And even in, so, I mean, I work with so many different, not just birth workers, but also people who work with new families, everything from a dentist who does releases to body work to doulas and childbirth educators. And I even know a couple of great pelvic floor therapists. A lot of them are actually self-pay only because the insurance is not covering pelvic floor yes. or things like this. And I'm like, yes, how is this where we are? How is it? Girl, a long time ago, I think I kind of gave up on thinking of my insurance as covering the care I want to receive mm -hmm. because it just doesn't. It doesn't pay for my acupuncture, my chiropractor, my body worker. But, <laughs> you know, I think of it more, I just recontextualize how I think of it because that's how I was able to move forward on my own healing path right. with peace was like, I think of this as just knowing that if all four of us got in a car accident, we wouldn't go bankrupt. That's right. kind it's of like what catastrophic it's and emergency <laughs> right. medicine. Right. And unfortunately, most of the things we want and need are not covered. Absolutely. I found the same. Now, the good news is that we did figure out the back end of how to accept HSA and FSA funds. So that's at least something as far right. as the program that we offer. But no, we're not approved by insurance, unfortunately, because we fall into that bracket the same as all that other stuff. Right. As, yeah. you know, quote unquote alternative or anything like yep. that, where it's like, it's, you know, it's just such a, a messed up little system, but it's what you're doing. It's so frustrating because this should be the first option, right? This is significantly less expensive and less invasive than surgery. And from your research study, better outcomes. This should be the first outcome, the first recommendation. Like every oh, yeah. urologist in the country should be saying, have you tried this? Let's do this for <laughs> three months first and see where we're at before we right. jump into surgery. Why are, why is that the standard answer? Well, I think, you know, it's women like you blazing the trail and women like us just creating the change we wish to see. And I think when enough of us are doing enough of that, the sea change will start to take place. And I think, you know, it it has for the birth world. You know, many women are much more alert and aware of their options to choose a less intervened upon birth. And so the more we share about what women's options really are when it comes to all the surrounding care they receive around this very tender and vulnerable but special time of life, the more we'll know and the more we'll talk about it. So I think we are that's why we do what we do to create the change we wish to see. Absolutely. I will say working with new moms, one of the huge blessings for me is that it's the time in life where I find women are most motivated to make change, right? Even if it's the hard change, even if it's things like, you know, when I'm working with a client and I say, I see a lot of signs that you might benefit from trying gluten-free for three months and just see how you feel, right? That's a hard change. I've done it. I've walked it. It is not an easy thing. And I think that when someone says that a lot of times to, you know, a woman in their twenties, it's kind of like, eh, I'm doing fine. Right. And part of it is also age. Like our bodies 
are more forgiving when we're younger. We bounce back from things faster. And as we get older, those things start to take, you know, there's a a great book out there called The Body Keeps Score. Oh, we love that one. Right. And it's it's so (laughs) true. It's so true. The body absolutely keeps score. It's not a refresher every day. You're not starting on a clean slate. And the older you get, the longer the score is. Yes. I remember learning in physical therapy school that just the quality of the connective tissue and its regenerative properties does start to decline around the age of 30. But that does not mean that all hope is lost because what is also true is that our bodies, no matter how old, are always capable of healing and positive change, of gaining strength, of recovery. So while we have to treat our bodies differently and with more proactive care and intervention as we get older to feel as good as we did when we were 25, it's not the, it's not a hopeless situation by any means. So there is a pivot required, right. but we can still feel good. Absolutely. And I think so much of it is you know, movement related. Yes. Like we need to move our bodies more. I mean, I have this conversation on a daily basis about babies too. I'm like, and it's, it's a real sad reality that it's like, it's not just adults who have a sedentary lifestyle, right? It's not just children, like adults are sitting at our desks and we're commuting and we're not working. We're not moving enough. And it's not just children who are spending all day, you know, in a classroom and barely getting any PE it's also these babies. I mean, I can't tell you how often I meet with a family and the baby's going from a bouncy to a swing to a snoo, and they're never getting freedom of movement. And I'm like, all of us from birth to death, we need movement. That is the key to life. Yes. And especially infants need that physical touch and they need just as much as adults, they need the exposure to the fresh air and the sunshine. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I remember my grandma used to say the wisdom of grandma, right? I don't know if Mm -hmm. that applies to everyone, but it definitely applies to us. (laughs) She would always used to say when, when all else fails, get them outside or put them in water. Oh yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I do. I talk about co-bathing with babies or getting outside and getting that. I actually like parents to get the morning sunshine too. I talk about that a lot too. I'm like, you know, get your hormones started right for the day. And it's good um, for our skin. It's good mm -hmm. for our eyes. It's good for our mood. Exactly. We're speaking the same language here, but it's, yeah, that's exactly what I tell parents. And I'm like, these babies need freedom of movement, especially with the amount of, you know, things like torticollis that we see in plagio and brachiocephaly. And I'm like, they need to move. They're wrapped up and swaddled and tight. And, and of course, I'm not going to tell anyone and I would never say not to use a car seat, even though it's tight and restrictive, but we have to balance that. If they're going to be in the car seat for an hour, they need to be on the floor. They need to be on your body. They need to be in a bath, right? They need to like be able to move their arms and legs. Absolutely. It's like you said, as much as we need that as adults, they need it too. Yeah, absolutely. And movement is key. But sometimes movement alone isn't enough and we need this more therapeutic movement, right? And this this real kind of treatment plan. And for me, when you guys reached, could you guys reach out to me after, um, I guess, maybe coming across my podcast? And when I looked you up, I was like, wow, this is really cool stuff. And immediately I thought of one of my best friends who had bladder surgery. And I was like, oh, this is really interesting. I should look into this and think about it. Like, you know, have that that friend history. And I was like, I'd love to learn more about, about it. And then I started reading all your guys stuff. And I was like, wait a second. You mean it's not normal to pee a little bit when you sneeze after having a kid? I'm like, everybody does that, right? Like that's normal. <laughs> and then I had to reframe oh, yeah. it and say the sentence that I say all the time to parents, common does not equal normal. Right. Absolutely. And, Cause I say that all the time. Like, yes, 
you know, babies spit up, but, you know, spitting up all the time and having reflex is not normal. Right. And so I had to reframe it for myself and go, wait a second, peeing when you sneeze is not normal. It's common. Absolutely. It's not normal. And it took a real reframing for me to even kind of get there because I've brought it up in, you know, like my annuals with my OB, things like that. And everyone's always been like, oh yeah, you know, you had a couple of kids. That's just what happens. If you bring this up in the Western medical system and we field questions about this all day long in our inbox, women on our YouTube channel posting in that very public forum. I am in tears right now watching this video. My doctor told me it was normal. I thought this was my fate. I thought there was no hope for me. I can't believe I can get better. I mean, and and so this is life altering stuff, but it is, you will get messages of this is, you just have to accept this. This is just normal as a part of getting older or having children. What do you expect? You had a few kids. One, right. actually Jen's personal story on this was she was, many women, unfortunately, are end up shamed by their providers. I believe providers have good intentions, but they don't know what they don't know. Mm-hmm. So Jen's provider, when she was seeking help for her prolapse, which hadn't been diagnosed yet, actually looked her in the eyes and said, that's not that bad. Mine is worse than that. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> I mean, I mean, so we should like, what? Uh, yeah, that so, sucks for you. But that doesn't mean that that's, that's what should happen. Yeah, that's as far as that provider yeah. was going to take her. So that's, you know, we do, women often come up, you know, in our local community, the words out about what I do. And so very often at birthday parties or events of any kind, I get, you know, slowly pulled aside to a corner and questioned about about all these personal issues. And very often I get the question of how do I know it's time to take action about this? And that is a very personal choice. The answer is when you decide you've had enough, Mm -hmm. when it is impacting your life enough that you're ready to make change, that's when, (laughs) you know, there's no exact threshold of what's too much. And the breaking point for every woman is different. And that's what I've learned that over all these years that like, while our cases often have certain commonalities, no two stories are the same. Of course, that's not what I'm saying at all. But, you know, what is the line that leads a woman to say enough is enough? I'm ready to take action to change this for myself. And that's very personal. So only you can know when it's gone far enough that you're ready to change it. But the good news is you can get better and you can heal and it doesn't even have to be that hard. Right. But I think it is important to have that frame of we we need to discuss what is normal. And I think yes. in our society right now, we have completely lost sight of normal. Um, right. So for instance, where, yeah. where this is concerned, leaking pee for any reason is not normal, whether that's the gotta go or the laugh, cough, sneeze, jump sorts of leaks having to deal with chronic back and hip tightness or pain or discomfort after having your kids that you never had before. That's also not normal. Getting up in the middle of the night to pee is not normal. This is the hardest one for women to accept. For some reason, we have so deeply accepted this Mm -hmm. that, that women are shocked when it gets better. Even though we explain that it will, they're like, I can't believe I'm sleeping through the night. And another thing that's not normal is peeing more than 10 times a day. I don't care how much water you drink. There is a documented normal bladder size. There's no such thing as a small bladder. (laughs) You can't (laughs) inherit it from your mother. (laughs) Wait, you're ruining all of my things. I know, right? We're myth busting here. So this all falls into the realm of common but not normal and therefore not something you have to just live with if you'd rather not. (laughs) 
Um, Discomfort or diminished sensation with sex is also not normal. None of those things have to be your forever state of being. Oh, it's so it's so crazy. And I mean, I could do an entire podcast talking about all the things that we think are normal in medicine. Oh, God, I'm sure there's a laundry common. list. There's so in, many in your field of specialty that could go on and on just as much as ours. Yeah. Oh, in every field. I mean, I recently took a, a very intense, wonderful functional medicine course for nurses. And one of the things that blew me away in it was the fact that our lab values, you know, in the hospital when they print like the lab reference range that reference range is different in different populations, right? Like in Texas, you might have a different one than I might see in Washington. Now, some of it's going to be very minor, like, you know, the sodium and potassium should be fairly similar, but some of the other stuff really might have some differences because it's based on the local population. And while that's a really great starting idea with the idea of like, hey, this population, this is their norm, right? I think that the downside is you're assuming the population is healthy. (laughs) And so if we're looking at things like what is a normal A1C, what is a normal fasting insulin or fasting glucose, and you're going off a population that in the US right now, you could say at least 50% of the population has either diabetes or prediabetes, or at the very least, I mean, if you're including insulin resistance, it's probably more than 50%. What is normal, right? And I think we're starting to really lose that. That we're just so confused with what's so common that we've completely lost the idea of what is normal. And I think we've lost the idea of what is wellness too. Oh, completely. Well, and we found that the women that we connect with and, and serve best are the women who've decided that that unwellness is not a state they're willing to accept and that they are looking to find a solution outside the box that they can do on their own terms in their own home and that they don't have to take off their clothes or use crazy devices or do awkward squeezing or be referred to surgery. And so those are the women who've decided that their path is going to be different. Those are the women that we connect with best because that was our story. And that's why we have what we have now (laughs) because- There are more than just us out there who are not willing to just say, I guess this is my fate. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think that it takes time to get there for a lot of us. Some are there faster than others. They may have had a, you know, a upbringing or a history that brought them to that place sooner. But so many of us are, it takes time to realize that this, the model, the allopathic model tends to be more almost like illness. Well, this was what I've said before. It's sick care. It's It's not well care. care. Yeah. Yeah, Right. And so if you decide you want to live in a paradigm of well care, you suddenly do become more proactive about Mm -hmm. getting therapeutic and holistic interventions. And that is, that's part of the, where we fit into the puzzle. (laughs) Right. Right. And I just, you know, I'll talk a little bit about my, my own personal journey and it's definitely not a big severe thing. Like you said, you know, Jen had prolapse and everything else. And so I feel like I fall into the category though, that a lot of other women probably do of feeling like mine wasn't a real problem because it wasn't severe. Right. Cause I think so many of us have a friend or a coworker or a family member who's had something severe. So we kind of diminish ours and go, well, it isn't that bad. Like, you know, I've had a friend who had bladder surgery because she couldn't do anything. Like she always had to wear a pad. And that's different than what I was going through. So mine wasn't really a big deal. Mine in, in my head must've fallen more in the normal range, right? Because it was just the 
you know, that I have to go really bad. And so, yeah, there's a little bit of leaking, but I mean, I really had to pee or walking and sneezing, you know, like I remember, and I think one of the turning points for me mentally, at least was a couple of years ago, we were on vacation in Costa Rica and we're walking outside and I'm in my swimsuit and I sneezed and I had to stop walking. And like, my husband almost walked into me. He was right behind me. And he's like, what'd you do that for? And I was like, I just had to stop for a second. He's like, why? And we had like all these people around us. And I was like, shut up. And he's like, what's going on? And I was like, I was about to pee myself in a swimsuit. Okay. Leave me alone. And this is so interesting that this is the story you bring up. One of my childhood friends I hadn't spoken to and for, for a long time called me and said, I've been watching what you've been doing. And I thought I just had a few little issues that weren't that big of a deal until I was at the beach recently. Mm-hmm. And you can't wear a pad and a swimsuit. Right. And so for her, it ran down her leg when she sneezed at the beach. And that was it. She was like, you know what? I've had these other little things and I just chalked them up to, well, I guess this is just how it is for me. But now I'm done. Yeah. I want to fix this now. <laughs> like I was um, so embarrassed and I was so uncomfortable with the idea that like I'm standing here in a swimsuit and I'm. And it didn't run down my leg, but I was terrified it was going to. And I had to stop suddenly and clench and hold everything really tight as I sneezed and really hope and pray that it's all going to work out. And I'm like, I shouldn't have to do that. Like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't have to like cross every finger and toe and like try not to move and like pray that. And there are other circumstances where that method isn't going to work either. Like you're driving, can't really cross your legs without causing a terrible accident. Yeah, the long-term solution. And the other piece is like, sometimes it's those moments that also refocus the idea for us that like, you know what, actually, this is not getting better. And maybe it's getting worse. And actually, I don't really want to end up where my friend was getting Mm -hmm. referred for bladder surgery in 15 years. So yeah, I would like to, to get better and change this now. Yeah. But I also kind of thought too, that this was something like, again, my friend had twins. And so I thought, okay, well, that's kind of like, that's more normal. She had vaginal twins. Like, of course that kind of happens. Right. And I didn't have vaginal births. So I thought, you know, this wasn't, I I wasn't going to have bladder issues because of that. Another very common misconception, but right. What still happens? We still have all the relaxants stretching our tissues throughout the entire pregnancy. We still have the weight of a bowling ball sitting on our pelvic floor for nine, 10 months. We still sustain a full-term pregnancy, which changes our tissue in innumerable ways. So we still have all those inputs Oh yeah, (laughs) and healing from a C-section in many ways is even harder because then you've got scar tissue and our pelvic floor is meant to work in, you know, synchrony with deep abdominals and outer hips. And we shouldn't have to think about it. That's why Kegels aren't really, they aren't a great option, but, um, but when you've got your deep abdominals cut because of the C-section, it interrupts that synchronous firing that our body automatically knew how to do before with pelvic floor and abs. So there's that piece too, not just carrying the full-term pregnancy. Well, and I don't think I actually ever mentioned this to you, but I also, while pregnant with my second, had kidney stones and surgery. Um, Oh my goodness. I had a really rough week where I had kidney stones and kept getting hospitalized and they kept sending me home saying they didn't see anything. And then finally they went in and did surgery and I had like a whole host of kidney stones in my um, ureter. I have heard kidney stones are one of the most excruciating pains a human can endure. I haven't suffered it, but I am so sorry to hear that. Oh, While thank pregnant, you. I mean, I, I do can't say, even imagine. I do say it was like my labor because I never labored. And being a labor and delivery nurse, watching, I mean, I was at, 
I've been at thousands of births. I knew that it might not turn out the way I wanted, but I never in my wildest dreams anticipated that I wouldn't labor. But I had a breach primary and the category of if I had known then what I know now, I would have advocated for myself and I would have done things a lot different. But even though I worked in that field, even though I was a labor and delivery nurse, I wasn't presented with other options. Yes. I I worked in the allopathic model and I was presented with, and I saw it wasn't just what I was being told for me. It was what I saw every day. You you were immersed in it. Right. I had a breach first baby. I should have a C-section. And I did try the, you know, turning and we tried a a version and all these things and acupuncture and, yes. um, you know, Webster Cairo is another one we refer to for. Yeah. And then I wound up with, you know, the tongue tie baby who had torticollis that was not, you know, the tongue tie was not diagnosed and she wasn't treated until she was 13. The torticollis was, but was treated in a very allopathic model with like, yes. hold her this way, make yes. her look over here. And then she's all better. And I don't think it really started to resolve until she was around 11. And we started doing a lot of body work. And the body worker was like, I can feel how she used to tilt her head. And I was like, this is mind blowing. Yes, Um, You know, so I think there was a lot of that too. Body works great for moms too. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I know. I mean, I send babies all the time and I tell the mamas too, like, because they'll be like, well, what if the baby starts, you know, fussing and we can't finish the visit? I say, ask them to work on you. Bring somebody else you can oh my pass gosh, the baby off to. It's my favorite addiction, receiving um, <laughs> my fashion craniosacral work. Oh my and gosh, I love also it. Also still, it's still the rest of my, uh, my other job is still my body work practice, which I adore as much as this in different ways. But yeah, I could preach the power of that all darn day long. But yeah, yeah so I think the piece too that many women don't, aren't making the connection with necessarily is how is this connected to breastfeeding? And, and right. it actually is because there are certain things you can do from a positioning standpoint or, or not do that do impact the healing of your pelvic floor during all those thousands of hours you will spend baby feeding, whether you're breastfeeding or not. And, you know, we, when we're, when we've just given birth, no matter how the baby comes out, our, abdomen has been stretched to oblivion and we are weaker than ever. And our core is not prepared to support us in an upright position. So I remember when I was pregnant and I would talk about this, hear women talk about the strain of breastfeeding or they had this injury from their elbow or their neck. And I would think, how heavy is this baby? Like that doesn't even make sense. Like six, eight pounds. And you're telling me you threw out your neck. Like it made a lot more sense when I felt it for myself. (laughs) Yeah, we we don't have the core strength when we've just given birth to even sit upright. So what will happen is it. So the first thing we want to recommend is don't let this list of things you can do to support you physically in your positioning be one more thing to do. Focus on latch. Focus on transfer. Those have to be the priorities. But at some point, you'll probably get those down. And then you know, task your husband with helping you with these things, because right, dads, they're men are problem solvers. They want to help. They want to feel productive and they often can't in this stage. (laughs) So get them to help you with your, don't they? Right. My husband too. So you give them a task list of things they can do to help your postural support and why this matters for your, it matters for your whole body. And we'll go through that, but why it matters for your pelvic floor is because when you're hunched and slumped and forward, that just adds downward pressure. It, it's a whole pressure balance system. So you want your body to be 
given the opportunity to heal and supporting your posture and breastfeeding actually supports the opportunity for your body to heal in its entirety and prevents for further and future injuries. So the first thing is to get a pillow and put it long ways, like up and down ways behind your back. And that may be more than one pillow play with the firmness of the pillow because you need trunk support just to be sitting upright because your core is not going to be able to hold you even if all you're doing is holding a seven pound baby. So that's the first thing we recommend. And the next thing is elevate your feet, you know, yeah. especially if you are a shorter mama or you're in a really tall chair. If you let your legs just dangle, that's going to pull on your hips and that's not going to do your core healing any favors either. And it's just going to end up causing back and hip discomfort. So elevate your feet, support your back from behind, long ways with a pillow, and then don't settle for just the boppy or the my breast friend. It's not enough support. You've got right. to bring baby to breast. And I'm sure that this is probably important from your perspective and your profession as well, but it's also protective for mom against injury to bring baby to breast. Don't think of bringing breast down to baby because mm -hmm. then you spend all that 2000 hours a year in that hunched over position, pressurizing and rounding your back, causing neck and back pain, and then adding pressure to your pelvic floor. So get way more pillows under that elbow. So you've got baby up to breast, you're sitting upright and supported, and you're not having to hold your arm there. Because that forward rounded holding ends up changing your posture for the long term and it puts you at greater risk for things like that backseat reach shoulder injury, the rotator cuff thing that happens when you're going to grab the whatever the Cheerios that dropped in the back seat because they're screaming <laughs> and you do the backseat reach and your shoulders never the same again. Right. That all has that all probably started with the baby feeding posture. So you can also just get down on the floor and do a couple cat cows or a child's pose after each feeding. Something that simple will make a difference for your body. And there's that therapy of movement like you were talking about again. So rebalancing pressure through your abdomen, recentering your posture for your back, stretching your shoulders. These things don't have to be hard, but all this, this stuff does matter for your pelvic floor. And there's other things you can do during that postpartum healing to easily choices you can make do's and don'ts that can help take care of your pelvic floor and that early healing as well. But that's the, what does this have to do with breastfeeding? <laughs> yeah. And I would, I, you know, I would say, I agree with most of those, the pillow behind the back, definitely. If you're going to sit all the way up, I generally try not to have my clients sit all the way up for a couple of reasons. One is the pelvic floor stuff. A lot of moms have a pretty sore bottom and pelvic floor, you know, you've had yeah. a baby and yes. sitting all the way up creates a lot of pressure and you know, that doesn't feel good usually for the first month postpartum. Yes. Um, and you know what? Now that I think about it, I was always sitting on my couch. So it was like so soft. Mm -hmm. So that makes sense of why that did work for me. But if you're sitting on a firm chair, that could be incredibly uncomfortable. Or if you're, you know, if you pushed for a while and you're swollen and your perineum yes. is really sore, sitting upright is going to add more pressure. You're going to get more swollen. But also when we sit upright, we do tend to hunch, you know, we do tend to curl our shoulders and, and like what I tell people too, is it's a very protective pose. You're trying to wrap yourself around the baby and you're trying to like hold baby, wrap your shoulders in and curve around your little baby. It's protective and it feels emotionally good. 
it doesn't feel physically good. No. And and so many hours are spent in feeding. That is like cumulative. So I completely agree. Gosh, to find any position that takes the strain off mom's body and still gets baby fed and that nutrition transferred is the right thing. (laughs) Yeah. That's why I usually get mamas into a more of a laid back, especially if we're talking about the first month, right? Like as things get easier and later, you can nurse on the go, you can nurse in different positions, all these things get much easier. But in the first couple of months, when we're really working on things and learning, a laid back position is not only better for mom, we cannot, I mean, if you lean back 45 degrees, you really can't hunch your shoulders without a lot of work. It like You're totally effort. right. Then you'd be fighting gravity to do and that. And nobody <laughs> would do that. Like So it takes the automaticness of hunching away where we just don't even realize we're hunching. And so you get better posture. You're not leaning forward. You also have to bring baby to breast because you're leaning back. And it puts the baby in a much better feeding position too, which is a whole lot of part of its latch. But and transfer, but part of it is also baby's physical mechanics. Like they have a straight spine, they have their feet resting somewhere. These babies should not be breastfeeding swaddled on a breastfed pillow with their feet dangling where they can't even push. They use oh, their girl, whole body I love to bringing feed. this. I love bringing the baby's body mechanics into the discussion. Yeah, this absolutely. is so stinking cool. And it, it makes complete sense. And I'm having, as you're going through this, I'm having flashbacks to the positions that my mind would, I'm, I should disclaim, I was very blessed to not have breastfeeding struggles, but I'm thinking of all the positions they would get themselves in. You know, they mm-hmm. would put themselves where they wanted to be. And it's it aligns very much with all the things you're talking about, yeah. about setting them up for success. Yeah. I mean, honestly, we need our feet to stabilize and balance ourselves. If you think about any bar stool you have ever sat on, there is not like, I cannot find one. I was looking for one to use for like my Instagram reels to even show. I cannot find a bar stool that doesn't have either a footrest or a, um, like a, what do you call the little piece that goes around the bottom? Like, it's like a footrest, yes. but it's not really, you know what oh, I gosh. mean? Like, and if, I mean, if you've ever been to a restaurant, I've, I went to one recently that the, that part of it was broken and oh I was God. insanely uncomfortable the entire time I was eating. Right? Yeah. And it actually affects your swallow. Like you don't feel as stable. And when you don't feel stable, your swallow isn't as safe and as easy. Well, and talk about affecting your nervous system, right? Absolutely. Gosh, it's like if you don't feel safe and stable, right? (laughs) Yeah, That's not good for anything. Right. So baby's mechanics when breastfeeding are super important too, because if a baby is in good position where their spine is nice and straight, they've got their body, their feet anchored, their arms up, they now can adjust their position to feed in a more effective position, right? A deeper latch, a more comfortable mom and a better transfer and mom's more comfortable too. Like, I mean, I talk all the time about the fact that we're mammals, mammals breastfeed. It's what we do. And none of the other mammals out there, moms do the work. I mean, if we've watched a nature show, you've seen anything from a giraffe to a cat, to a monkey, to a whale breastfeed, none of the moms do anything. You can watch like a mom, dog or cat and they lay there and all their little kittens and puppies just crawl all over them and the mom falls asleep. Like they're completely right. They do nothing. We're really not supposed to have to do this work. And yet we've created this system where we tell moms, you need to latch the baby. You need to make your breast a sandwich. You need to do this stuff and push the baby on and do this. And we're completely causing more trouble. Yeah. 
right. Babies know what to do. They have reflexes for this. The problem, and that's a common question I get from parents is, well, then why aren't they doing it? And I say, because we've blocked them. We've swaddled them. Now they can't use their feet or their hands. We've put them on a pillow. They don't know where they are. They can't feel our body. Aligns with like every holistic approach to anything. It always involves, and this is what we're able to, to help women through in our signature program, but also in the body work piece and in the way you're delivering this therapy. It is all about setting our bodies up to do what they were trying to do anyway. It's right. that gentle nudge in the right direction. It's facilitating a natural process. It's not doing to or forcing something. Or and and that's where that's where we just tap into the power of nature and the wisdom of our bodies and their healing capacities and the way they know what to do already. And it's just accessing that. And it's powerful and it's gentle and it feels good. Yeah. It's I tell people all the time this very much to body work, but to a lot of the stuff like this, we're not fixing something. Our body has an innate ability to heal itself. We are removing the obstacles that we put in the way. Girl, yes. And with our signature program and tighten your tingle, tighten your tingle, the way we always say that is that you're giving your body a gentle nudge mm-hmm. that it needs to heal because it doesn't have to be hard. It doesn't have to be aggressive, but that is for, for those who have come from the allopathic model of care, that feels weird. We right. get questions like, should this be hurting? Should I having be having to try harder? Should I be having to think harder? This feels easy. And, yeah. And, and we're conditioned to think that that must be wrong, but it's like quite the opposite. Right. I, I remember feeling that when I started the program of like, shouldn't I be like sweating? <laughs> shouldn't I be doing something like harder? <laughs> like when I, I mean, I did physical therapy for two years every week after I had four shoulder surgeries. I had well, a really bad that accident. That is different to be fair. Having a shoulder surgery is different. It was not for the faint of heart, but Mm-mm. it it was painful, right? And so in my mind, it was like, well, this is physical therapy kind of stuff. Like this should be kind of painful. I, I should push through it and I'll get somewhere good. But why doesn't this hurt more? And so actually when I had the first couple of times that it did hurt, And it was because of how my body was doing and where my healing is and my, my other medical issues. At first, I didn't even reach out to you. I was kind of like, well, that's kind of normal. Right. And then it happened kind of more consistently. And I was like, "Ah, well, what do I do? I'm not going to be able to do this at all. Like, how do I, how do I do this and still get any results? And that's when I reached out to you and it was like, you're not supposed to be hurting. And I'm wait, what? (laughs) Yeah. Well, and that I, I'm so glad you brought this up because that while this is, while our signature program is technically, we call it a DIY program, but it comes with membership in our private community where we are present and it's only other members of our program supporting each other, speaking from personal experience, speaking from the heart, we're supporting you and you're supporting each other there. So it is DIY, but there is support because uh, some of it's just undoing conditioning. Right? right. Some of it's okay. Wait, you mean it's really going to go the way you said? Like, are you sure this is right? And sometimes we just need to hear, yeah, absolutely. Yes. Stay in pain free ranges. If it hurts, that's when you reach out. We need to tweak or adjust something because it's not supposed to. And that can be due to 
medical histories that can be due to connective tissue disorders. So we do sometimes need to tweak and adjust and customize things. And that's why that support is there and included, because we know that everybody's story is different. And sometimes a little tweak and adjust is all you need to be able to open that path to your body to doing what it knows it needs to do anyway, that gentle nudge. Yeah, absolutely. And for me, my journey was a little slower than I wanted it to be. But I'm, you know, a neurodivergent ADHD, busy woman who really wants things to go fast paced. I'm super (laughs) impatient. And that's just a part of me. I work on trying to increase my patience, but I also realize that's a part of my neurodivergence. I am like a very productive, impatient person. And this was a bit of a lesson of like, hang on, not everything works on that super speed timetable. And when it and this reminds down, me, yeah. this reminds me of how I describe holistic healing in general is that it's slow, gentle, steady progress mm-hmm. it is holistic healing. And the thing that I think keeps women motivated, yes, everyone's journey will look different. But for the majority of women following our program, the wins start to accumulate within the first one to two weeks. I'm not saying you've completely changed your story and healed everything, but you get enough of a sense of, wait a minute, this is already getting better, that that's the motivation to keep going because it only takes 10 minutes a day. It takes 15 minutes a day. And once you've learned it, that's all it takes. And when you start to feel that that first little win in those first couple of weeks, like, wait, I used to be getting up four times a night to pee and now it's only twice. So Mm -hmm. are you healed in those first two weeks? No, but you've made enough progress to know it's working. So you're motivated to carve out that 15 minutes. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. And I think for me, it was also just a, I get a lot of these lately, but a reminder that my body doesn't work on that super speed timetable and that I need to slow down and be more patient and understanding with my body and that I just have to accept that things are not going to move as fast as I want, but that doesn't mean that they're not progressing. And so I kind of took that step back and went, okay, are they progressing or are they not? Like be objective, you know, look at what's going on. And I was like, okay, well, I haven't had any leaking. I haven't had any accidents. I haven't really felt that like same twinge of, oh my gosh, I'm going to have one. Huh. It is working. Okay. Yes, it's working. Right. Like I had to slow down and and give myself permission to kind of like do this a little slower too. And then I also had to, I did connect with you and get that support and say, okay, some of this isn't working for me. And we did pull out a few things. I wasn't doing the, some of the floor stuff and I still, it still is really hard for my body. And those are not, not part of my program right now. And I did add in the, I can't remember what you call it, but I lay on the floor um, yes, my decompressing. Up, the decompressing. Yeah, yeah. yeah that I was think that, that, huge. That's a part of uh, what sets our protocol and program apart as well. Is that it's not most women when they get in are they're excited about the exercises. They think that that's mm-hmm. that's where the change comes. And yes, it's a part of it. But before you get to the exercises, you learn a toolbox of we call them recovery tools. It's relief techniques because you've got to have a way that as you're building strength, you're not going to get all the change you want overnight. It's going to start to happen quickly, but life's also going to keep happening, Mm -hmm. right? Like my favorite story is we went on a family trip and I had to carry my four-year-old for longer than I expected on a hike. Mm -hmm. And is that going to cause a flare up? Yeah, it will. But you've already put on a toolbox of relief techniques so that you know you're not going to be stuck in that flare up. 
right? So you don't just learn the exercises. Those are important. You learn relief techniques. We go into the mindset piece of what is getting better. What does it look like? We give you concrete things to check of like, this is how you know it's better, exactly like what you just walked through. And so that is an essential part because when we've decided we're ready for change, sometimes it is hard to be patient with our bodies. But that is also, like you said, I love the way you brought that personal insight that it's part of the journey of learning to give ourselves grace. And that only further encourages the healing because you've put your nervous system back in that place of acceptance and self-love. Yeah. And it's funny. I think I'm was probably like a bit of a bad patient. I kind of skipped through some of those at first. I was like, get to the exercises, make it better, do the work, right? <laughs> well, and I then, love that you just totally made my point for me. So right? thank you for admitting it. You're not I did, alone. I did. And I had to like <laughs> slow down. And when I was doing them and I had that little stuff happen, it was like, okay, go back. She said, there's other stuff I should look at. <laughs> and then I did and I slowed down and I brought in some other stuff too. Like I use a acupressure mat, which I found to be super helpful. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh my gosh. I love my acupressure. And I've used it off and on in the last couple of years, but never connected with it as much as I have recently. I, I lately it's all of a sudden it's like, it's helping. Actually, my teen uses it for her ADHD anxiety. Sometimes like when she's feeling a little overwhelmed, nervous system regulation, it it, it provides that physical decompression that she needs at that moment. Um, It's been helping my low back. We (laughs) talk about recovery, slowing down. Um, We were modeling a house and I pretty much, my husband wasn't doing the floor as much as I was. It was um, harder for him. And I was having an easier time with it in theory. Um, and <laughs> he was, he was doing other things. He was painting the kitchen cabinets and stuff, which I had a harder time with the sprayer. But anyways, I did about 1700 square feet of flooring and that's a lot of time on your knees and a lot of tension on your low back. And I, you know, I've said so many times without that acupressure mat, I'm like, I don't think I would be up and moving between that and getting in the tub with some Epsom salts or using yes. I have a red light therapy that I'll use a red light therapy pad and I'll put that on my low back or I'll lay and do the decompression. And without all those supportive therapies, I feel like I'd be back in the allopathic model on meds or talking about, you know, invasive support, right? Invasive treatment options. And I think that it's important. And I love how you guys aren't just about the exercises that you do, even though I skipped over them in the beginning. I appreciate (laughs) them all now. I was just super impatient. Um, (laughs) You're not alone. Right. I really appreciate that you guys talk about the other things. And that even when I had talked to you about the setbacks I was having, you also said, hang on, have you done body work, right? Have you done some nervous system decompression? This might be where you need to be. And at first I read that email and I wanted to be like, no, (laughs) I was like, that is not going to fix this. I want my bladder fixed to fix the bladder. Yes. And you know what? So here's the, the, the physiology behind why that's an important piece of fixing the bladder, because anytime you bring in any sort of discussion of urgency or frequency with the bladder, it tells me as somebody who's done this for so many years with thousands of women that your nervous system has gotten involved because our bladder is connected to our fight or flight nervous system. So if you're having the laugh, cough, sneeze, jump leaks, that's not a nervous system thing. That's pure pelvic floor. But once you get to any frequency or urgency, that tells me, okay, there's a nervous system component here and just the exercises are not going to fix that fully. So absolutely. We love to pull back the lens 
and take that higher level view of the holistic system of the body. And we've accounted for that in the program and in the protocol because it's it was part of our own healing journey. And we knew that just the exercises aren't going to cut it and they're not going to do the trick for many women. But you're also not alone in like you get in and you're like, this is the part I need. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, there are so many things that moms can do even just from home without even jumping into the program to move things in the right direction from a holistic standpoint again. And those things can be as simple as using a squatty potty or toileting stool, which helps more completely empty for bowel mm -hmm. and bladder and helps decrease downward straining, which is a gift to the pelvic floor, maintaining adequate hydration and fiber so that the stool is of a good consistency. You're not downward pressure straining there again. Something as simple oh. as not pushing your pee out okay, we're all busy moms and we think we're going to shave off a few seconds and save ourselves. <laughs> the toddler's banging at the door. You are not doing yourself any favors. Not only you're you're adding downward pressure to the pelvic floor, but pushing actually causes urinary retention in the bladder. So that leads to having to pee again more frequently thereafter. Greater chance you're going to have to get up at night to pee and a greater chance of urinary tract infections if you have residual urine in the bladder. So make sure that peeing is a passive event. <laughs> I mean, these are simple little things that do make a difference. Yeah. And I think that there's so much in that too, with like, you know, having enough fiber and water is good nutrition. Like we need to take care of our bodies. But I think a lot of it does go back to that common verse, you know, not normal kind of thing. It We should not strain to have a bowel movement. Like that's not normal. Yes. Right. But and, I think that something needs common. to be adjusted from a right. fiber hydration or a positioning standpoint. So that squatty potty again can be a massive help for that. Another thing, especially for the postpartum population that we always bring up is to please stay out of your either anything that feels compressive around your middle. So if that means staying in your maternity clothes for months, Mm -hmm. That is what you want to do because when you add pressure around your middle, that pressure goes somewhere and guess right. where it goes? It goes down. It goes to your pelvic floor, like an upside down tube of toothpaste that you've cinched and squeezed and that pop's going to, that cap is going to pop right off. Right. So, and you know, something as simple as sizing up in your underwear and pants or staying in your maternity clothes longer is a gift to your pelvic floor and that healing. And I'll make sure you have a link to our, one of our kind of uh, relief techniques in the program we offer ex access to all is our decompression technique. So I'll make sure you have a link for that. That is a gift to your back, your hips, your pelvis, your pelvic floor, and your nervous system. So it's like high productivity rest time for right. my type A. <laughs> You're saying the right keywords there. Yeah. And being productive, very productive laying in this position. <laughs> I know. That is one so, of the hardest <laughs> ones for me because I have to lay there and I can't even like read. I'm like, <laughs> but you can listen to a favorite podcast. You can know, put on your um, affirmation app that we love and recommend the think up app, which is another freebie. That's lovely um, to record affirmations in your own voice and play them back to yourself, which is very powerful. You can do that in this position. So you're like rest multitasking. <laughs> right. I know now I'm on board, right? Like I'm such a productivity type person that I have a hard time with the times where I feel unproductive, even though yeah, but... I know conceptually that rest is good for my body. It is necessary. It doesn't, in my mind, equate with productive. Yes, so therefore yes. it doesn't equate with necessary. It equates with extra. And I'm not meeting all the things that, you know, the 400 things I think I should do in a day. So I don't have time for extra. But then, but then what happens is as we get older, 
all that productivity and high achieving can sometimes manifest as overload and then breakdown. So many women end up with migraines or physical uh, chronic fatigue syndrome and that sort of thing. And that can all be because your nervous, our nervous system at that point has been going so hard for so long that the most productive thing we can do is take a step back. And then you won't end up losing all that time in those pain flares in, in those migraines, because so it's all a mindset reframe, right? What Mm -hmm. is productive? And maybe that looks different for me now than it did when I was 25. (laughs) Absolutely. But it's true. I mean, I, I do need to reframe and do a lot of, as I'm sure a lot of other women out there need to, that rest is productive that I'm allowing Girl, my body and, a chance and, to heal, to be able to do other things. And if don't I don't, me, my body will say something about it. Don't let me lead anybody on to think that I you know, I am speaking from experience here. This is not me pontificating or preaching. I have had to learn these lessons the hard way too. <laughs> they <laughs> so. are tough lessons. And for a lot of us, you know, I mean, running your own business and being a mom and a wife is hard. And yeah, you know, you're trying to do all the things where all the hats at the same time, and there's so much external and internal pressure to do it all really well. I mean, I tell new moms all the time that, especially when we're talking about going back to work, and they're really stressed out, I say that, you know, give yourself as much grace as you can. Because for many of us, I mean, I felt guilty for years. If I was at work, I should be at home with the kids. If I was at home, I I should be hated that feeling, right? Yes. Yes. Oh, girl, you're speaking to my heart right there because that was very painful in those early years of parenting. Um, What I find interesting, and this is a generalization, obviously it doesn't apply to all partners and not even saying men, it could be same-sex partners, whoever, but I don't find that as often the partner has that same level of guilt as the primary parent. That is, I found that to be true as well. And you know what I also found witnessing my husband in those early years compared to the way I was driving myself is I found that he was better at knowing when he'd met his threshold and of taking a break for himself. And while that used to make me jealous, (laughs) I'm not proud to admit, like, why did you get a rest? And, And over time, I actually learned that I wasn't giving myself the rest. I had to make a choice. Everything we do is a choice. And the only person who has the power to change things for you is you. And I learned that actually I needed to be looking to him for inspiration of how to put myself back on my list. Because when I took care of myself a little bit better, even just a little bit better, everybody wins. Mm -hmm. Mom's a little bit better. So in that way, it was productive also. Yeah. And I've gotten to that point too, where it's as as my girls have gotten older, being a girl mom, I've realized that I don't want to show them that I don't matter. I don't want to oh, show them that, that being a mom means I can't whole, have a passion, right? That's a whole nother level right Yeah, <laughs> And so I started and it starts, honestly, it starts young. When they're yes. a baby, you start realizing what you're modeling. And it may be as simple as not saying swear words or, you know, not eating just a tub of ice cream for dinner. And, you know, having that nutritious food or how we talk about our bodies, talk about our bodies, right. And so it's a slow (laughs) migration for a lot of us, but then it does for some, for me, it turned into things like, how am I modeling communication with my partner? How am I modeling following my passion and the fact that I can have a career and I shouldn't have to choose between that and my family, right? Yes. Modeling. How, how am I modeling? How am I taking care of myself and that I'm still worthy of 
pouring into my own cup as I am mothering and working so that they inherently know that that's important for them to one day crawl. Yes. I on the same journey. It's a lot. And I think that that's, what's so amazing for both of us working with so many moms is it is such a gift and a unique time in life that really, you know, I mean, being a mom, doesn't go away, right? It continues on, but it changes throughout the ages and everything else. And for us to be able to work with them and support them and help them see, you know, what is common versus what is normal and to um, and simply offer resources. Really, yeah. To offer you know, and help and to say that this is okay. We can care for you too. It's not just your baby who matters. Absolutely. Sending those message early, messages early. And that is that is one thing we say about our programs. That we know it's not the right fit for everyone, but we're just so grateful and honored to be able to offer something that is right for so many women and certain women. So if you are dealing with a client or if you yourself or somebody who knows that you need in-person care, then go receive that. You know yourself, but if you are somebody who's like, the nearest person is two hours away or just adding another appointment would break me. I want to deal with this on my own terms in my own home. That's where we are a great option. Absolutely. And I'll add one more thing. I tell people all the time this with telehealth, and I think this applies to your program as well, because you guys do offer support, not just the videos. Work with the best provider for you, not the best one in your area. The one that you feel because there's somebody in your area who took a weekend course on pelvic floor and they say that they can help you. If they don't really know what they're doing, they are not the best for you. If they don't have enough experience for your issue, then find the best person. If you don't connect with their energy. I mean, we we absolutely want you to find, because the number one thing too, we, we often ask women when they email us and say, I'm just not sure yet. Well, then please don't join yet because the women who get the best results with us feel so convicted that they are ready to -hmm. jump in with two feet and receive the support the way that we can provide it. They feel connected to us, to our story, to the way that we're going to help them walk through this. They do jump in with two feet and guess what? They get the best results. So if you're not feeling connected to this option, please choose something else, right? Because no matter what, you're going to get better results when you feel that you are t- putting yourself in a place of trust. Your nervous system feels safe. You can receive what's being offered. That is maximally important. I couldn't agree more. Absolutely. And I just want to thank you so much for your time. I know we could talk for hours more, but I'm oh my goodness, conscious Katie, of everyone's you, time. Thank you for what you do in this world to support women in these tender years. And thank just you. before we go, we have a special gift just for your listeners of a coupon code for $50 off our signature program. And that is KTLC, just those four letters. And we, in addition to that treatment program, we were being asked by mama's who wanted to be more proactive, who weren't having issues yet, how can I heal right the first time? And so we did create a a second offering for that. So we have a proactive option for women who aren't having issues yet, but don't want to end up there called Healing from Home. But we also have our signature program, which is that treatment protocol and that research validated plan that is the reason we're here. (laughs) That's awesome. And I think that that's a great option too. I mean, that's something I'm gonna, I didn't realize you guys had that. I'm definitely gonna just kind of encourage clients to say, Hey, if you want to just learn some, some things that can help you prevent problems, because I do like you guys, I tend to, to have the most connection with clients who are holistically minded and who are looking for that empowerment ability too, and the ability to take our health and 
our bodies into our own control, right? We want to heal ourselves and not just wait for someone to, you know, I mean, as nice as magic wands are, they don't seem to have one really. So we don't want to wait for those pills or those surgeries. Absolutely. No. And, and to take, to take matters into your own hands, it, it's so validating of our and dignifying of our humanity and of our body's wisdom. And it takes the fear out of that healing journey. When you feel like you've got it, it's yours. You know what to do on your own terms. That is, and I'm speaking from personal experience. That is such a gift that I love and value personally. So if that's important to you, this type of approach is right. (laughs) Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. So thank you so much for your time and for kindly offering a coupon code for listeners. And I will put that in the show notes as well. Thanks so much, Katie. Thank you. It's been wonderful. Absolutely. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change you. I hope that you enjoyed the podcast today and learned something new. If you know someone who would benefit from this podcast, please share.